0: Hi, this is Jim Kelly. Welcome to Free Reads. I'm releasing the story you're about to hear under a Creative Commons license. Basically, that means it's free. Copy it as much as you want, send it to your cousin in Kalamazoo, or your pal in Poland. All I ask is that you don't alter the file, or delete this intro, or the afterward to follow. If you like what you hear, you might consider clicking over to my website, www.jimkelly.net and putting a little something in my PayPal account to cover my costs of studio production. How much? That's entirely up to you. I'm no actor, but I am the author of the stories in the Free Read series, and I've tried to perform them more or less as I heard them in my head when I was writing them. As the contributions roll in, if they roll in, I hope to return to the studio to record more of my work. In any event, I'm glad to have you as a listener. Enjoy. Beerhorst RG, Syrah B L and Jennifer R. P. Proof of the Existence of God and an Afterlife. Journal of Experimental Psychology Volume ninety five, spring two thousand seven, pages thirty-two to thirty six. Remember the future? said the subject. He fumbled an old envelope from the pocket crawling across his yellow T-shirt. Jennifer frowned as the kid wrote the words down. Remember. Future. No one had ever taken notes before. Time isn't a river, Jennifer continued. It's momentarily distracted. He glanced down at the questionnaire the kid had filled out as part of the experiment. It's a field. Subject was Timothy Corrigan, freshman English major. Claimed he wanted to be a poet. Not only this second, said Jennifer, but ten minutes ago, ten minutes from now, and ten years from now, are all within our range. Corrigan nodded. Time present and time past are both present in time now. Jennifer stared at the kid blankly. T.S. Eliot, said Corrigan. burnt Norton. No, this is good stuff. He held his pen ready. So how do I remember the future? With the help of our apparatus over here, you can make brief and controlled excursions through the field in any direction. The first time he'd given their phony pitch to a subject, Jennifer had been shocked at how well it worked Shock had long since given way to disillusionment. People were so bone-stupid about science. Give somebody a lab coat, a computer, and a dentist's chair dummied up with readouts, and he could fool the world. Or at least a naive English major. But I'm afraid I can't allow you to take any more notes, Mr. Corrigan. This is a secure area. You did sign the release. Sure, sure, I understand. Corrigan folded the envelope back into his pocket. Now, then, your entire life exists and has existed from the instant of the Big Bang. All your lives. All? I don't suppose you've taken quantum mechanics yet. We could go over the equations. Wait, what did you say your major was? He pretended to scan Corrigan's questionnaire. Corrigan shook his head emphatically and his long black hair fell across his forehead. I about flunked geometry in high school. He smiled as if it were a badge of honor. And morons like this can vote, thought Jennifer. They open checking accounts that they have no idea how to balance. They make babies. All right, then, he said. The gist of the theory is this. At every second, no, every nanosecond, "'Reality branches into an infinite number of universes. "'All possibilities, no matter how remote, "'are satisfied in one or another.' "'I am large,' said Corrigan. "'I contain multitudes.' "'Jennifer realized that the kid was saying these odd things "'to show that he was trying to understand. "'I suppose.' "'Jennifer rubbed the back of his neck. "'The last procedure of the day was always the hardest.' Okay, your brain is constantly collapsing these potential alternate universes, thus cutting off your access to them. It's what creates the illusion of time's directionality. For the first time, Corrigan looked confused. Jennifer wasn't surprised. From past sessions, he knew that this was the weakest part of the script. If only they had asked him, he would have concocted some convincing rubber science. But this was Beerhorst's experiment. If Jennifer strayed too far from the script, he would introduce unwanted variables, skew the data. We still don't understand exactly how this brain mechanism works. It's part of why we asked you to take part in this experiment. Don't worry. You won't be in any danger. We've put over a hundred subjects on the apparatus without incident. But we're on the cutting edge of science here. There are no guarantees. You understand that. Corgan braced himself and nodded. The younger subjects seemed to like a little whiff of danger. It made them feel brave when they took the hook. We can send you into your personal time field out as far as it goes. It says here you're not married. Is that right? Well, you might meet your wife or her wives. Jennifer was supposed to chuckle here but since he was no actor the sound always came out more like a cough watch your kids grow up and what will you do with your life could i see how i die got you thought jennifer once again the predictions of beerhorse goddamn model proved accurate 84% of college kids brought up the idea of visiting their own deaths of them before the second scripted hint. The older populations had even higher numbers. 98% of nursing home subjects expressed interest in a terminal vision. Jennifer shrugged. It's your future. You're the explorer. We have no way to place restrictions on what you look for. Corrigan glanced away from Jennifer toward the apparatus. So then it really isn't a time machine. That's what I'd heard. No, your brain is the time machine. The apparatus just turns it on. Jennifer rested a hand on the kid's shoulder. May I call you Timothy? The kid shook his head. Just Tim. You've been hypnotized before, Tim. Jennifer began steering him toward the chair. No. Well, all indications are that you will be an excellent subject. He settled Corrigan into the chair and plugged the electrode headband into the EEG processor. The status light went from red to green. The EEG was the only instrument that actually worked in the room. Everything else was just a prop. Jennifer swept Corrigan's hair off his forehead and positioned the band so that the electrodes snugged over his temple's. The processor took a few minutes to calibrate the input from the band before its raw data readout blinked and displayed the waveforms of Corrigan's brain. Corrigan watched him with wide, bright eyes, the color of almonds. There was a scatter of freckles across the bridge of his nose. The corners of his eyes had yet to wrinkle. The kid had the face of someone who had never made a mortgage payment or been passed over for a promotion. Are they ever sorry? Corrigan said. Sorry. That they remember their futures. Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. No one ever complained to me if that's what you're worried about. They're not worried, just curious. He smiled. And what do they call you? Dr. Jennifer? Mr. Jennifer? Mr. Doctor? Richard. Jennifer found himself liking Tim Corrigan, even if he did have the common sense of a moth. After all, the kid had a good excuse for being innocent. What was he, nineteen? Twenty at most. If Jennifer had known everything at that age, he would have crawled into the nearest closet and nailed the door shut. So, Tim, I want to be sure you know exactly what's about to happen. Jennifer had recited the last part of the script so many times he had a tendency to rattle through it. He forced himself to speak slowly, with conviction. First... I hypnotize you. We do this primarily to help you concentrate. You have to turn inward as you never have before. Block the outside world entirely. Then I activate the apparatus, which gives you access to the time field created by your brain. Jump to any location you choose, although, for the purposes of our experiment, we ask that you explore your future. Since you're feeling disoriented at first, I help you make that first jump. Then I leave, and there are no further distractions. You're on your own. I'm in the control room, taking a video, audio, and electroencephalographic record of the session. Please tell us, if you can, where and when you are, and in general, what's happening. Don't bother with details. You'll remember everything you experience. There will be an extensive debriefing afterward. Ten minutes into the session, we turn the apparatus off and bring you back. I should warn you that people seem to find this the most jarring part of the experience. No matter whether you want it or not, you'll be swept out of the future and returned to the present. Safely to the present. All right. Sure. Jennifer still felt uneasy playing Beerhorst's tricks, even in the cause of science. Corrigan thought he was going on an adventure through time, when all that was really going to happen was Jennifer would make a hypnotic suggestion that he imagine his own death. In a couple of hours, he'd just be another stat for their paper, Age Progression and the Terminal Vision, a New Diagnostic Tool. Beerhorst's Paper... Jennifer would be lucky to get his name on it. The truth was, he'd never been all that enthusiastic about Beerhorst's idea that they had to convince progression subjects that they were remembering a real future, just as those undergoing hypnotic regression believed their recaptured memories to be true. But Beerhorst had gotten the grant, and so here Jennifer was, pulling a science con on this dewy undergrad... But the only protocol battle Jennifer had won was that he was allowed to monitor EEG. Are you ready to begin? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, droned Corrigan, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. I'll take that as a yes. All right, then. Do you see the clock on the wall? I want you to watch the second hand ticking away. Focus, Tim. Good. You're feeling very relaxed. With each tick, you can feel tension draining away. Imagine you've been up all night doing a paper. But it's done now, and you've handed it in, and you're getting an A. So now you can just ease back and enjoy. You stayed up very late working on it, Tim, and you're tired, but that's okay. Maybe your eyes feel a little droopy. Let them close if you want. You've earned it. That's it. Deep breaths. You know, now that your eyes are shut, I'll bet you can't get them open again, no matter how much you want to. Go ahead. Try. See what I mean? But if I tell you now, you should open your eyes for me, Tim. Ah, very good. We can begin. Jennifer turned to the computer beside the chair and tapped the enter key. The monitor scrolled nonsense code at subliminal speeds and then stopped on a blue welcome screen. The words, Opening Temporal Field... Pulsed twice before being replaced by a digital clock that began counting backward. Ten, nine fifty-nine, nine fifty-eight, nine fifty-seven. As you can see, Tim, I've turned on the apparatus. Its effect begins almost immediately. It's subtle, nothing you can sense directly. No sights or sounds at first. But... You should feel a kind of lightness, or maybe a surge of energy. Concentrate now. It's a feeling of power, Tim. Nothing can hold you. Do you have that feeling? Yes. Good. Then it's time to take your first step into the future. What I want you to do, Tim is jump to the end of your session with us. We've finished our debriefing, and you're leaving the lab. All right? You cross the waiting room on your way out. Are you there? Yes. You come to the door. Look at it. It's unusual, isn't it? Yes. Before you leave, take a moment and tell me about the door. It's heavy, made of some kind of wood. Corrigan made his voice small, as if he were talking in church. It looks old. It doesn't have a knob, but a kind of handle thing. Brass. It has panels. One, two, six panels. A long pair below the handle. Another long pair above. And at the top, two square panels. What color is it? Green. Dark. Dark green. Good, Tim. Very good. You should be proud of yourself. You've made your first jump in time a couple of hours into the future. I'm going to leave you now. When you open that door, your entire future will be before you. Go anywhere you want. To work. To a lover. To your death, if that's what interests you. You haven't got much time, less than ten minutes now, so remember only what is most important about your future. Good luck. In the control room next door, Bev Sira was eating a sub from Nicky's and grading papers for her Intro to Personality class. The control room, a windowless space with white cinder block walls and gumspot gray linoleum, was furnished with folding chairs and a couple of long tables they had borrowed from the cafeteria. Their equipment consisted of two computer towers and keyboards, a printer, speakers, microphones, earphones, telephones, a mess of wiring that spilled like plastic spaghetti across the tables, and three monitors. Two of them showed different views of Tim Corrigan. The other displayed three-dimensional histograms of his EEG. I like the term paper imagery, Sarah said without looking up. That just come to you now? Haven't I told you, said Jennifer, dropping onto the chair in front of the video monitors, what an inspiration this whole experiment is to me. Bad attitude makes bad results, Richard. Where both deliberate, the love is slight. Corrigan's words purred through the speakers. Whoever loved... That loved not at first sight. What's his problem anyway? Said Syra. Thinks he's a poet. Poor bastard. We're leaving the party, said Corrigan. Her name is Luciana. Sounds like he'll be stopping soon for a little sexual interlude. Syra reached for the next paper. So will this one get a terminal? <gasps> oh my! Said Corrigan. <gasps> oh. I'd say yes, Jennifer turned the volume down. You want that pickle? Corrigan continued making soft, throaty noises, his body twitching occasionally in the old dentist's chair. When he fell silent, the monitors were showing what looked like a sheen of sweat on his forehead. He's hooked all right, said Jennifer. Kid believes. The silence stretched to more than a minute. Then two. Sierra emerged from her papers and shot Jennifer a questioning glance. There were four minutes and twelve seconds left on the clock. What can I say, Jennifer shrugged. Ten minutes ago, I couldn't shut him up. Kid, you're supposed to talk, kid, said Sierra, although her microphone wasn't on. We need benchmarks. Jennifer peered at the close-up monitor. You think something happened to him? Beer Horse Grant hadn't been enough to pay for new high-res video cams. Sierra came up behind him. He looks kind of different. Different, how I don't know, vigor, maybe, as soon as she said it, he knew she was right. Jennifer had been watching too closely to notice that Corgan's shoulders had broadened just a little, his cheeks had flushed out, and there appeared to be an extra fold at his chin. The woods, Corgan sounded as if there were something stuck in his throat his T-shirt had ridden up at the waist, over a couple of inches of pale skin. A beer gut the kid didn't have bulged. Decay! They watched as Corgan's hair began to fall out. A dark strand slid down his cheek and he sneezed. That set a little tuft adrift from his head. It caught on his T-shirt, black tangle on yellow fabric. Jennifer turned on the nearest microphone. "'Tim?' "'This is Richard.' "'It was a violation of all the protocols. "'What's happening?' "'They'd have to throw this procedure out. "'It struck him as a funny thing to be worrying about at a time like this. "'It was so funny he wanted to laugh.' "'The woods,' Corrigan said in a quavering voice. "'Decay and fall.' "'Jesus,' said Sarah. "'What the hell is this?' "'But Jennifer didn't answer. "'He was already through the door and into the room where Corrigan was. "'Only the kid was gone.' In its place was a flabby, middle-aged man whose fair skin darkened and wrinkled as if it were being burned by a slow flame. As he went to him, Jennifer passed the monitor, still counting backwards. Two, twenty-three, two, twenty-two, two, twenty-one. Tim? Jennifer nudged him gingerly to get his attention. Where are you? Whatever was happening now accelerated. Corrigan's head lolled toward Jennifer, and he smiled. At the quiet limit of the world. A tooth slid out of his mouth as he spoke bounced off Jennifer's arm and rattled across the floor like a button. No, you're not! Jennifer caught Corrigan by the shoulders and shook him. I was lying! Everything was a lie! Corrigan's head snapped from side to side. Jennifer could feel him shrinking in his grip, muscle withering away, skin sagging. It enraged him. You idiot! You're not in the future! He shouted. This damn chair is just a prop! Stop it! Richard! Sierra had followed him into the room. She was weeping. You stop. You'll hurt him. Hurt him? Jennifer let out the hysterical laugh he had been strangling ever since Corrigan had begun to age. Look what he's doing to himself. He let Corrigan go, and the old man slumped back onto the dentist chair like an empty suit of clothes and died. Jennifer didn't need to look at the flat readout or hear the EEG's maddening shriek. He knew. Corrigan's eyes clouded over and turned the color of spilled milk, and still it wasn't over. His corpse continued its unreal trip through time. Jennifer caught just the whiff of putrescence, and his stomach lurched. It was a dangerous smell, a smell with claws. Then it was gone. Meanwhile, Corrigan's yellowed flesh was shrinking to the bone. Jennifer backed away from the body, which had already gone far beyond death. My God, said Zira, Oh, my God! The rapidly decomposing carcass shivered, as if in response. Impossibly, the dry muscle of the neck stretched, and the lips pulled taut against the few remaining teeth, and the thing that had been Timothy Corrigan turned to them and spoke It sounded like the groan of mountain being uprooted, except it was also the hot crack of a lightning strike and the crushing liquid whisper of the darkest ocean trench. I am who am. Jennifer staggered backwards, bumped against the table which held the EEG processor and the computer. He had a glimpse of the monitor with its now meaningless countdown o13 o12 then hurled himself across the table and over it using the equipment to shield himself from the empty infinitely dark sockets in the skull of the kid he had sent to god corgan was the burning bush thought jennifer but i'm no moses he was huddled there when the computer sounded its chime once twice three times signaling the end of the session despite himself he was caught unaware It was a tiny noise compared to the shrilling of the EEG or that vast and terrible voice, but the closeness of it unnerved him. He screamed and lurched away from it, fell and then scrabbled backwards toward the far wall. The monitor teetered off its perch on top of the computer and exploded against linoleum. The next coherent thought Jennifer had was how quiet it was. No EEG alarm even though the processor was still on the table, its readout oddly alight, no sound at all until Sarah whispered, "Kid, if she had gone mad, Jennifer was prepared to understand. She found her voice and spoke aloud, "You're right, Jennifer heaved himself forward, i-I don't know, but she wasn't talking to Jennifer. Tim Corrigan was in the chair, his long black hair spread across the yellow T-shirt, his cheeks flushed, and his eyes full of wonder. The next thing Jennifer knew, he was standing beside him, kneading the kid's bicep to prove to himself that he was really alive. To prove. Where were you? said Sarah. Heaven, said Corrigan. Or near it. He gazed up into their faces and then smiled wearily. But I don't expect you to believe that. You were dead, said Jennifer. Yes, the idea seemed to amuse him. He laughed. They got it backwards, you know, just the opposite. In heaven you burn. I could feel the fire crackling through my veins. My heart was aflame. Corrigan raised a hand to his face. About, about, in real and route, the death fires danced at night. He stared as if he were looking through his palm at the afterlife. It's not pleasure or, or pain or any one feeling. It's all of them, and they consume you, and what's left is like... N- no, it is God. His babbling only provoked... Jennifer. Without speaking, he jerked Corrigan out of the dentist's chair, dragged him protesting into the control room, and shoved him into the chair in front of the monitors. You sit there. He stabbed at the rewind buttons on both the tape decks. You watch. The motors whirred and the tape sang back across the heads. You tell us what happened. Jennifer turned to the computer that had received Corrigan's EEG output and called up a display that compressed the entire session onto one screen. He settled onto the chair, not really sure it would hold both his weight and that of what he was seeing. It was all there, including more than two minutes of utterly flat EEG, the definition of brain death. He had proof... Jennifer shuddered and hit the print key. He had hard copy and videotape and two eyewitnesses to a miracle, three if if you counted Tim Corrigan, poof, the tape decks clicked to a stop, reset themselves, and began to play. He heard his earlier, blissfully godless self saying, "As you can see, Tim, I've turned on the apparatus." Its effect begins almost immediately. It's subtle. Nothing you can sense. But Jennifer couldn't watch. Not yet. He felt as if the hand of the Almighty were on his shoulder. He, Richard, Jennifer, had been chosen. But what was he supposed to do? What could he do? Nothing. Everything? He picked up the phone and dialed Beerhorst's number. Proof of the existence of God and an afterlife first appeared in Asimov's science fiction magazine in August nineteen ninety eight. Recorded at Mind Mind Studios, Alton, New Hampshire.